You know, Ryan, many times when we're in our trainings and we're explaining things, I love how therapists' brains light up and they're just like, oh, my goodness. If I could just give this same information to my clients and teach it to them, wouldn't that create the change that they need? What do you think, Ryan? Nope. Well, we're going to talk about the role of psych psychoeducation within the EFT process today. Welcome to the Leading Edge in Emotionally Focused Therapy with your hosts, Dr. James Hawkins and Dr. Ryan Reyna. EFT is a dynamic model that humbles even the most seasoned therapists. Together, we want to come alongside you as you continually push the leading edge of your understanding and application of this wonderful model developed by Dr. Sue Johnson. Well, welcome back, you all, again. And, you know, me and Ryan kind of joking in that teaser a little bit, but we want to make some room. There is, I mean, we've seen some great therapists that maybe don't use much psychoeducation at all, but then we've seen some like they used it in such a refined, nuanced way. And then it's not always just about the therapist. Sometimes you have to adjust and flex to the client. Um, some clients you might give a little bit more. Some clients you give a little bit less because it becomes a block for them. And so today we just want to help clarify maybe ways in which we maybe possible pitfalls within using psychoeducation at moments when it's best to use it, when maybe not to use it. Um, and then some creative ways to be able to use psychoeducation as an effective part of the EFT process. Yeah, Ryan? That's right. Yeah. I mean, the first sign of secure connection, the first sign of security is flexibility. Mm. So we want to be flexible with this concept. And we're just having a discussion today. We're not trying to tell you what you can do. There's plenty of room for experimenting with this you know, whatever it is. I think it also, you know, I think it makes sense. Something we were just talking about, James, is could be different for different clients. Mm -hmm. You know, for instance, uh, you know, I occasionally have someone who comes in and, and, you know, I don't do emotion. I'm not an emotional person or sometimes I don't even have emotion, which almost always is really about their attachment history. Mm -hmm. any, any human has emotion, but but, um, I, you know, and, and maybe they're, maybe they're an engineer, maybe they're a scientist, you know, so love sense, giving them the book love sense can be really great for them just to help them actually feel safe with the process. I think that's potentially a benefit of some psych ed. It can make some people feel safe. That's right. It can also have the opposite effect. Sometimes a really, really anxious pursuer mm -hmm. wants to control the therapeutic process. Right. That's not so great of a motivation, right? That can actually be a major distraction. So I think it could depend back to the, the word of attunement and so forth. Here, here's what's not so flexible mm -hmm. is if you're trying to help a relationship that has significant distress, insight alone is not going to do it. That's right. Uh, That's we can right. tell you that for sure. There we go. There's tons of research around that, you know, and, and it's, it's just a brain fact. Mm -hmm. If your brain sees the right answer, but also sees the threat, your brain will prioritize the threat. Correct. And that's just human. That's right. Therefore, I can give someone great skills. We could teach them communication skills, I statements, other things, love languages, his needs, I mean, the, the Mars, the, all the things. Mm -hmm. In and of himself, those ideas might be helpful. That's correct. If the relationship is secure. Right. But in a relationship that's insecure, cycling and in distress, insight is not the right part of the brain, Correct. that's not the kind of change that's going to create second order change. Correct. Though it may create some first order change, mm -hmm. which feels good initially, but actually is can be harmful. So I think that's the, 
discussion we're in today. 100%. And remember, our target where we're really working at in EFT, we are thinking uh, about attachment and it, particularly the attachment system being activated in moments of relational or just really any type of distress where you're looking for a relationship. So you're right. I mean, we know that from brain research that the moment when your body registers fear and threat, the cognitive part of your brain does not have the, the same speed and reach of at that moment that the, the fear response of your brain is more profuse and spread out and quicker because it's going to try and get you to safety. So if I'm trying to teach my client how to swim while they're drowning, I need to help them be able to just get safe first before we go teaching them. So I think that's the idea with psychoeducation. It's that if they're in emotional distress, which is we're trying to help them have change, corrective emotional experiences around their fears and attachment needs and longings, then psychoeducation is not going to really work as well in that spot. Sometimes it can be used, what I've seen from some trainers, they use it to hold space in that spot or lead up to that spot. One of my mentors, Catherine Rehm, we were watching one of her case consultations in a training and the client kind of blocked Catherine a little bit. They didn't want to do the enactment. It's like kind of like, why do I have to do this? And Catherine, kind of, and I'm not going to do Catherine Reams' great words as much justice as they deserve, but she kind of gives a phrase of, you know, I really wish that we could get your, that you didn't have, like, you know, if you could not send a signal out and somehow your partner still be able to respond, that would be great. However, what research tells us that it's more likely that your partner can respond if you can send them a signal of what's happening in your internal world. So that's what I'm asking you to kind of do right now. So she weaved in a little bit of research right there and why she was doing what she's doing. And then she just held space and made sense for the client why she was doing what she was doing. When I think about this in the, the EFT change model, Ryan, it's like, you know, in the book, Heart and Soul of Change. One of the things they said is like, you know, what makes a person a good therapist? And part of it is they just even study what do healers do? A healer knows the path towards the journey and they can show you are where you are on the path and that they have a plan of how to get there. In EFT, we have an EFT map. And what we believe is that change happens in these corrective emotional experiences. So that's why we privilege experience, the experiential model in emotions and not cognitively trying to teach you out of it. That's just kind of like my, my take on it. Yeah, it's a good thought. I mean, I think a really important piece is there's a, there is a competition, whether we like it or not. Hmm. You, you can't have, for most, in most cases, you can't have a massive amount of psych ed and a massive amount of experiential change. You got to choose. There's only so many hours in the day, mm -hmm. as family therapists have been saying for 50 years. <laughs> There's only so many hours of the day you got to choose. You know, Sue talks about when she, when she developed EFT, she and the team, she, she wanted to make the experience of being a client in EFT as simple as possible. Mm. She put the burden of the complexities on the therapist. And mm. I think there's a tremendous amount of wisdom on that. Wow. So what comes to mind for me is if my job is to, is to train commercial pilots, what I don't want to do, what I don't want to train them in is all the other things that happen on a plane. They don't necessarily need to know what all the flight attendants do. I don't want them worried about the jet bridge and the, how you open the doors and the snack compartments and all the attitudes of every you know person on the plane, but not because those things aren't important. They are very important. It's just because flying a plane is more important and they got plenty to worry about in the seats they're in. 
So that's the problem to me with too much psych ed. One of the problems is that you're adding complexities. You're, 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 you're really bringing the client into the therapeutic side when they have plenty to do right where they are. Mm. And, and, you know, there's only so much energy and people who, you know, a good EFT session, people will often say, man, that's exhausting. I'm like, yeah, well, imagine if I, if I, if I had to bring you over and all the things I'm thinking about, you know, how many enactments, how I set the enactment pre, during, post, you know, you know, I'm just teaching them all these concepts. What I'm doing is inadvertently robbing energy from them that could be used just working towards experience. Mm -hmm. So again, this is a flexible thing. There's space for this. All of us are going to do some pieces of psych ed. That's, That's right. What I'm referencing there is when it's done too much. So can I want to, let me, I want to catch a frame from definitely, once again, we talk about one of our special contributors, George Fowler, but he does talk about the idea of Coco, that EFT, while we are, we definitely are focused on emotion. We are a behavioral change model. But cognitions are a part of what EFT is about. Mm -hmm. And so what he talks about with COCO is that we do help co-regulate with our clients. We want them to help learn how to co-regulate in their distress relationship. But sometimes that's happening between the therapist and the client. And we do have to do the other part, George says, in it to really be attuned is we co-create meaning. Mm -hmm. So is, is that idea of we do help. We are, in EFT, I think it's best done, the psych ed piece, right? It feels like it's happening simultaneously. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by that is even with, right, you know, this anger comes up because what this anger is trying to do, that's your body's signal of trying to raise a protest to get your partner's attention to see something that's really important to you. So it, not only am I using my tone and inflection to heighten the emotion, to be evocative with it, I'm also organizing it. And for me, that feels like a little bit of education for them mm -hmm. because clients will be like, oh, I never knew that's really, I couldn't put words to what my anger was trying to do. Or the other partner was like, oh, I didn't think of the anger that way. What that anger used to tell me, you just taught me something new about my partner's anger. Mm -hmm. So it happened simultaneously in the moment. And it was woven through there. Or another one that you hear us talk about, you know, in the other part we do with uh, successandvulnerability.com is even when a block comes up, we'll make sense and we'll organize the block. We'll catch the block. Like, Uh-oh, right there. I saw you kind of start to make that joke and kind of laugh. But it kind of came up right at that point when the pressure in the session started building up. I'm just kind of curious. That's like, that's that kind of how you let pressure off in the situations when it feels building up and that's your way of trying to make sure things don't blow up in your relationship. Yeah. Can we go right back to that place though? When things got a little tense, I just taught that person a little bit about a move that they was never explicit to them before and the good reasons they do it and how they use it to protect. For me, that feels like a little bit of psychic. Mm -hmm. Maybe yeah. I'm talking about a little bit something different. There. Well, that's, that's, I think that's a really important point. Are you talking about quick summaries? Are you talking about framing and reframing? We need a lot of that, okay. particularly okay. in stage one. I would say it's a little bit different than sort of a disconnected teaching. That's right. Right? You know, if, if, you're, if you left externship and you're really excited about it and you start teaching all the externship to your clients, okay. what you're teaching them to do is to be a therapist. Yeah. And the funny thing is clients love it. They love it because it's good stuff. Mm -hmm. I like the externship, even if I wasn't a therapist. I'm like, oh, man, that's good to know. The problem is they can't apply that to their relationship. Yeah. So when you're using too much cognitive interventions, what you'll find is very little change or it'll be first-order change. First-order change defined as um, it's temporary, not going to last, not going to change the rules of the system. Mm -hmm. right? So let's talk about 
Let's talk about what not to do with there Scikit at the process level. What not to do. And, and the answer is, the, I mean, comes around the word X at the process, right? I mean, that's, that's I think everybody's done it. I know I have. I'll, I will raise my hand and confess. There's times when I've used PsychEd just because I felt lost. Because mm. I didn't know what else to do. Or because it feels stronger to just teach you something when I've lost my map. Hmm. Because it slows me down. It calms me down. That's the piece that I really want to ask our listeners to pay attention to. Why are you doing it? When are you doing it? it does it serve a function for you? Too much psych ed is maybe the most common block that therapists have. We talk about clients have blocks. We define blocks as mistrust in action. Well, therapists have blocks too. When we're not trusting the process, when we're not trusting ourself, uh, psych ed is often the block. And that, and that functions like an exit more than it is something that we're really adding a value. Mm -hmm. um, so... Yeah. So definitely we don't want to do So when you were talking about what not to do, we, we don't want it to do to exit the process. Mm -hmm. Also, I think it's, we don't want to, this is when I've thought about mm -hmm. what we don't want to do is also like kind of like insult the intelligence of our clients. Mm -hmm. Meaning like I'm teaching you something. We also probably yeah. hope we get that in assessment, right? What have you tried to do to change this dynamic? So sometimes if it's like almost, I could explain it to you. Hey, 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 just say it nicer. Because what we found is if you can have this slow, soft, soft softened startup yeah. voice, it increases the chances are, and I'm thinking about the pursuer particularly, like, yeah. do you know yeah. the thousands of times I tried to do that? That's right. And my withdrawers, I still That's go away from me. Such a great point, James. I'm, I'm so glad you said that. I can't tell you how many times people be like, well, they just don't know how to communicate. Folks, be careful if you think that. Number one, that's pretty arrogant. You know, and for us to go in there and tell them how to do this, you know, it's like, well, can you at your house? <laughs> you know, are, are us therapists using these great skills all the time? The answer is no. No. Because we all have cycles just like our clients do. When people, quote, can't communicate, unquote, it's because their fear system is activated. They communicated just well enough to get in their relationship. They haven't suddenly lost skills. That, that is a mirage of couples work. Let's get specific. Can I say one more thing yeah, on yeah. that? Uh, the, the, what hit me was I don't want to mistake and not honor that my clients have probably good answers deep down within their own bones. They just don't know how to access it. Or they've even the times when they probably hit the mark with the thing I'm about to teach them, it didn't land. So it's not just that they didn't do it, but maybe their own partner got blocked for whatever reason. It could be some good reasons there. So I don't want to, I, what I don't, what I, well, let's see, what not to do yeah. is I going Let me just comment. I was just going to say, I, I even think the words that we use, they don't know how, is usually inaccurate. Okay, there we go. Because again, they had enough skill to get in this serious relationship. So it's unlikely that's a lack of skill. What go. they, what, what a bunch of fear in a cycle will do though, is cut you off from access there we go. to your resourcefulness. There we go. It is possible to have plenty of skill, but just sort of lose the rhythm of doing that. Sorry to use a sports analogy, but I was a pitcher, and one of the most technical things to do is to throw a really good slider or curveball, if that's what you're used to. And it's not uncommon for a pitcher to have a great curveball for a while and then come back a few months later and kind of have lost, I've lost it. Like I can't find the rhythm of doing it. Something's happened 
which has broken my rhythm. And I think that's a nice metaphor for couples. Okay. What we don't want to do, let's just make it really clear. Okay. If you want to use psych ed, I think it's a great idea to have, you know, maybe three or four metaphors, stories hmm. that you, that you want to go to, practice them, get them concise. Can you do your metaphor in 45 seconds instead of nine minutes? You know, I think that's a good challenge. But regardless of how much psych ed you do or don't use, here's your rule. If, there's, if we are in any kind of range for live emotion, throw it out the window. If there's any live emotion that's about to be in the room, if there's a tear in the eye, if there's attachment things happening in your room, if hands are moving back and forth, if someone's reached out for comfort, if there's live emotion or active attachment dynamics in your room, don't do psych ed. Because that's what going with you said, number one, that would exit the process. Oh, my goodness. And, and it's tempting to do that, by the way, because my, here's my biggest mistake is I have something I saw and I'm like, okay, I saw it. So it's already in my mind. I really want to explain this because it's clarifying and it's, it's a good, it's a better frame. And then a live emotion happens and I make the mistake of go ahead and finish in my sentence. Mm permission, stop your sentence, stop your story, stop whatever was happening with you. Cause sometimes the stories evoke emotion. Yeah. Great. That's a great story. But as soon as you're in the range of live emotion, if we're anywhere around enactments, pre, during, post, get rid of psych ed. You can always come back to them. Mm -hmm. If it's necessary. If it's necessary. If it's necessary. Cause for me, when I think about what the purpose of psych ed is, this is just James. You help me out here, Ryan, because we haven't even talked about this. I think of it as sometimes to create or hold space, kind of in the example I got from, from you know, from Catherine I just shared, or even George with his cocoa and how he does it. Or sometimes if something just completely bombs, it's not to exit, but it's to help organize and make sense of what just happened and how we're going to get and how we're still on the map. I'll kind of use it in those in those ways. That's for me, at least. Yeah, that's good. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, the, the danger of using is is people don't bond over why things happen. People bond bond over what is happening right now. Mm -hmm. Vulnerability, risky sharing demands engagement. Mm -hmm. But me telling you about why and the therapist exiting with me to go up and talk about why. I mean, it's just informational. That's right. right. And yeah. if you're if you're training your clients to become relationship educators, by all means. But if they're paying you to change their relationship, we want to be concise. You know, good rules of thumb. What to do here? Switching the there topic here. Thank you. Is to stay proximal to the experience. That's a a Jim Furrow quote. At least that's where I got it from. I'm sure it's Sue or somebody smart, but it's not mine. But anyway, staying proximal to the experience. Concise and staying proximal is a winner. You know, in EFT, if I try to boil this all down as simple as I can, we're doing one of two things all the time after assessment and all that. We're either going up above the line and we're doing organization, reorganization, tracking, trying to change the frame from negative view of self and negative view of other to a, a different way of organizing from an attachment lens right? Using temp, using our organizational piece. And as soon as we can, we want to drop below the line, bring our hearts forward, be with people in their pain and go for enactments, going for corrective experiences. One of those two things is what we're going for. 
So if your psych ed is proximal and doesn't disrupt either one of those things, then it's helpful. Mm -hmm. But if it's taking up too much space, if it's a distraction, if it's an exit, if it ends up being some debate about relationships, I'll sometimes have people stop me and go, but isn't this true? You know, one of my favorites is you got to love yourself before you can love someone else. You know, and it's tempting for me to just go into like philosophy of that for four minutes. Mm -hmm. But even if I say something really good, it's like, well, congratulations. You said some random philosophy that didn't ha have anything to do with anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, the question is, can I feel what just happened with that confrontation? Right. Can I just validate the thrust of what this person just did and go right back into process? So just enough psych ed to orient the clients, I think is a good way to say it, to, to give a bookmark. Sometimes it, it's to, hey, here's why we're not going to go through too much content. I think that can be helpful. Yep. Yeah, to show your work. Think about algebra. Yep. Right? Because clients don't know what they're supposed to talk about. Hey, so can I, I want to, uh, this, you out there in the audience, thank me for this one. So Ryan, let's make that one a little bit, let's give an experiential idea All even right. of that one. All right. Like, so what would Psyched look like to give a bookmark? I mean, I think the best bookmark is a quick summary of what just happened. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's the point I'll make. This is my main point here. The, the most qualified therapist in the world, like the most highly qualified people that I've ever seen, at least, use very little psych ed when mm -hmm. it comes to extensive uses of it. That's right. They use tons of micro summaries. Yep. 30 second summaries. Here's what just happened. They use them like a reflection before they go right back into experiential work. So it's almost like, here's one, uh, I'm putting myself out here vulnerably in front of everybody, but here's one I might use, like especially, let's say, things were getting a little bit hot, the withdrawer knew it, and they kind of exit out of the process by going away or something. It's like, hey, hey, I appreciate that, man. You know, what attachment shows us is there are some people, the way they deal with this dysregulation is they just kind of, they take the energy in the system and they just try and evacuate that energy out. And so that's just what happened in that moment. Your way of protecting the system in an attachment frame is just to take the energy out, man. I appreciate what you just did there. Mm -hmm. So for me, that feels like, because I'm thinking through Phil, through Phil Schaefer's adult attachment book, right? Mm -hmm. Where, but that's what the psych going in my mind. And I'm giving it to the client in their own world and what just happened in the moment. Mm -hmm. So to me, so let's go back. It's kind of like putting a bookmark or a bookmark could be a place where, you know, hey, you know, what we kind of learn in these attachment bonds is that sometimes we, we, when we share a signal and then no one responds to it, that's the place where we get stuck and there's a lot of distress. And so that's just kind of what happened nice. with us today. Next week, we're going to come right back to this same place and keep doing the good job. You're sharing these signals to help your partner out. But today it just got blocked because there's a lot going on. But we'll pick up in that place next time. That's great psych ed right there. Okay. What you don't want to do is pull back too much and start teaching big picture truths about marriage and relationships one what will usually happen is your pursuer oh. your pursuer will be like yep see i told you i yeah. haven't i told you that and the withdrawer sinks further and further and further away because yeah. clearly the withdrawer is now surrounded by two experts mm -hmm. who teach him or her they who teach them everything because i must be the idiot mm. the therapist is up there teaching my partner is teaching I must, so, so there's just all kinds of problems with doing too much of that. Something to be thinking about. So at the same time, metaphors oh, yeah. are useful. To me, metaphors could be considered a, a use of psych ed. Can, can you show me that? I love that you said that how you could like use psych ed and then turn it into a metaphor. Could you give an example of that? I know I'm putting you on the spot there. Whew, it's it's, it's going to be sports real quick. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, I think I did it in this episode with the with the uh, airplane thing. Oh yeah, I didn't right. have that written down. Uh, as we were just going through this, that just that metaphor jumps to mind. Mm-hmm. And so, what you find is different therapists use metaphors in a different way. I'll tell you, for me, if I watch one of my sessions and I haven't used a metaphor, they're usually bad sessions. <laughs> and the reason that is is because that's the way my brain holds emotion. That's the way I make sense of and how I attune with people. So when I hear your story and your experience, ideas pop to mind. Earlier in my career, I would try to keep them out of the session and just stay there. Later on, and this is just one person's style, I, what I had to learn was that is, that is the way I attune with you. Mm. And so most of my big breakthroughs, especially I'm thinking about my live sessions that are on video. I think I've done, I don't know, 40 or something. Mm-hmm. My best ones there were big emotional breakthroughs, usually four or five minutes after a metaphor. Mm-hmm. And, and I, it's not a metaphor I've given them. It's a metaphor they have given me. I like it. So as they describe their dilemma, a metaphor pops to mind via attunement. I share it with them, and that metaphor becomes a placeholder. It's actually normalizing as well. Mm-hmm. But a metaphor from the client is even more valuable if yeah. they describe their experience. That's just one example that's very proximal to the experience, you see, is yeah. a metaphor. Exactly. So I want, yeah, I won't even go on that one. But you know what popped in my head? Our friends um, over at Foreplay Radio, right? Thinking about around sex when our couples address sex. Because, like, I love listening to their podcast because there are so many things, little technical things within sex that many couples don't know. And so I could even see, like, uh, I'm picturing, I'm hearing Lori Watson's voice in my head here. You're picturing sex right now, James? N- nope, nope, nope. Don't, hey, wait. <laughs> I said Lori Watson's voice. Okay. Voice. Okay. Right. Gotcha. No. <laughs> um, uh, but, it, but so even just, like, those little snippets that sometimes her and George talk about on there, like, right. whether it's like, hey, I get it, man. You want to have this romantic, intimate moment with your wife, and you've, you're expecting in your head she's just going to be enamored, and she wants it, and then you go in to try and have sex, but then, uh-oh, but then she's, she's, she's not lubricated. Well, hey, let me just help slow it down. The female body responds a little bit differently, and sometimes it takes a few moments. It might take 15, 20 minutes of, of foreplay for her body. She really wants to, but her body just can't rev up and respond as much as yours. But I get for you. That you just, that's your way of making sense. You want to know that your wife desires you the way you desire her. So it's a little bit of psych ed real quick that Lori might give on the female body, but then she could bring it right back to how it lands within their attachment bond. And then when you get, when you feel like she doesn't want you, you kind of begin to shut down and then you pull the blanket and you turn over and then the wife, you see him turn over and he just gives up on you. And then y'all just go to bed upset for the night. Whew. Right, we brought it. We brought it right back to their their attachment bond with a with a quick bit snippet of psych ed, just to help him out, help him see it maybe differently, but also not taking away his emotional experience. Yeah, and it's it's like a high school kid who really wants to ask this girl out for a date, but then he's a little bit scared. See a metaphor. That's what <laughs> right. comes to mind. That's that's how we use them, right? So I'm just staying proximal with what you were already giving me. To me, that's your best use of psych ed. Yeah, right. It's what comes to mind if it's a little bit of information. Or it's a metaphor right next to where they already were. Exactly. The further your psych ed is away from their experience, the less applicable it is. Not only less applicable, but it can create confusion and chaos and shame. Yes. Because why is this person giving me all this information? Man, I don't know any of this. So what's wrong with me? Yeah. And even for me, if I'm thinking about like that snippet of psych ed, it's really just to say, man, I get where you are. It makes sense. And this is this part, like, you're not crazy here. You know, that kind of thing. It's just to try and help come alongside them, really. 
and, yeah. and, and help them in a place where probably they're fighting to try and make sense of it themselves already too. Like George would say, that's part of Coco. Yeah. But right. like you said, but it's, they run side by side and we know that the human body priv in moments of distress, it privileges the emotional side. And it, even if they're in distress, they cannot install the cognitive piece. That's right. And not, and again, not only that, if they think they should, then they're going to really feel behind. Oh, the shame. A shame. Yeah. It's a big deal. Yeah. So let's kind of, let's move practical a little bit. You know, some questions I get is, do you introduce EFT to your clients? Okay. Do you teach them about pursue withdrawal stuff? Um, my answer is that's up to you. I think there's room in different ways to do that. I don't do a lot of that. I don't hide it. It's on my website. Um, I'm, I'm certainly okay if they know that I practice EFT, but I really don't want them to take six weeks of their life to go study what I do. Mm. I really want them to use the energy on what they do. I would rather describe the experience of being a pursuer and a withdrawer versus pulling all the way out and introducing the right terms. But you certainly can. It's, mm -hmm. there's, some, there's some flexibility there. Um, other thoughts, you know, when is the perfect time? Uh, I've had a people ask me, do you ever draw the couple cycle on a dry erase board? I did really early on. I supervise people who do that a lot. It's okay. I don't think it's, I don't do it. It's not, I don't think it's the best way to do it. It's, it doesn't feel as organic to me. But if you are, if you're going to use a worksheet or go through the cycle with someone, just get it a long ways away from live emotion. <laughs> so like the end of a session, if you feel like that's helpful for someone after you've done the work, after we've tracked the cycle and got the moves and done temp and done four enactments, we've done a summary, that might be a time if, if that's your style to go to the board mm -hmm. and sort that out and end cognitively. Mm -hmm. The brain is not great at doing cocoa at the same time. Mm -hmm. There can right. be some of each, but as a rule, the brain is going to prioritize experience or prioritize the learning process. And we want to work with people's brains well in that way. You know, I think research is your friend. Little snippets of research. Here's what we know works. You know, going into stage two, for instance, if we're going to do uh, attachment injury, mm -hmm. I think you can stop and say, here's what our research shows us. Here's why we're going to do this. If it's okay, I'd like to spend some time with you today. Because our research shows, you know, we can significantly reduce relapse if we can get this part really clear. Mm. That took me about 12 seconds. Mm. And I think that's safe mm -hmm. because I think it's not so safe if someone just thinks this is your personal pet theory that you just made up on the spot. No offense to your brilliance, but it doesn't hurt that we have, you know, 35 to 37 years of research on this map. That's right. And I think it's helpful. Again, you don't want to teach the whole map, but a piece or two to bring you along to be explicit with the moves, a little bit of, of here's the motivation I think is helpful. Mm -hmm. It helps me know, like, you're taking a risk for a good reason. Yeah. Like, you're asking me to take a risk, but there's a purpose to this risk. Yeah. Yeah. And so homework, other examples here, you know, some couples, some therapists really like to recommend hold me tight. Mm -hmm. Or for, you know, Christian couples created for connection. They mm -hmm. have those exercises in the book. Mm -hmm. For some couples, that's really wonderful. For other couples, maybe not. That's you know, right. if they're highly escalated, probably not. Because it could be used to get yep. But if they're both motivated and fairly open, that can be good. So back to attunement. You know, my number one people say, what homework do you give? Do you give homework? Yeah. I usually say something. I usually say, hey, today I got a little more clear on what happens when that cycle gets after you all. I hope that you are as well. The number one homework thing I give is can you, can you notice it this week? 
can you see if we can pay attention yeah. to that cue in your stomach mm-hmm. or to that check in your throat? And can you let your partner know? Yep. Can you see if you can slow it down just a little bit? Yep. I'm really looking forward to hearing about that. That's my number one. And that's a little bit of psych ed. I'm implying what, I, what my theory of change is, that if a couple can repair their bond, they will win. Mm-hmm. But you can't outsmart a cycle. You can't outteach a cycle. Mm-mm. But you can slow it down, and mm-hmm. you can find a way to maybe go below it. Yeah, you took away my, my that was my homework. Oh, I'm sorry. Like that. No, that's good. No, because I was like, okay, well, you know, a little bit of psych education. I want you to not just psych education in general. I want you, if we go with the idea of what psychology means, psyche means soul. Well, study your own soul then <laughs> and learn the processes. Learn how you show up in the world and how you experience the world and what you do with that. Uh, that's education. There, it is, and, but, it's, but it's proximal. So three quick points. Can I do three quick points? Yep. You know, so just trying to be responsive to questions like, what are the three things you use? These three things, two of these three, I use a whole lot. Okay. So one I, one I just use on occasion is talking about an accidental affair, an accidental affair, meaning a monogamous relationship where one party strays mm-hmm. and does an attachment injury. So an affair, you know, I've worked hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of accidental affairs, right? Meaning I didn't mean to get into this relationship. One day I looked up and I'm in love. Mm. Right now I can't get out of it. And here we go, right? And it's two years of grinding it out on the couch there in, in my office in therapy. It's very painful. You know, you hear, you hear several hundred of these stories and you start to, you start to learn about bonding. Because mm. this person, you know, at their work, which is where most affairs happen, just happens to walk by this other person's office every day as they go home and they have a seat and in and of itself, that's fairly innocent, but they start going from, Hey, how's the weather to, Hey, how's your heart mm. and checking on you. And I heard your grandma pass it and, and I'm, I'm so sorry. And next thing you know, they're having these, these conversations where one person really confides in that's a vulnerable way. And, and not the, doing it with their spouse. And the other person responds in an attuned, comforting way. And what they don't realize is they just split the atom. Like they just tapped into one of the most powerful sources on the universe, mm. which is bonding. So I use my little affair story to teach bonding really quickly. Sometimes in session one, sometimes not at all. But if you ask me to teach attachment as quickly as possible, that's about, that's about my favorite way. <laughs> uh, other things, probably the most common one I use, just given practical stuff here, is uh, in an adult, a romantic bond, end of session one, you know, I've been to do an assessment and alliance work and, you know, we're 50 minutes in and I, and I just say, can I ask you guys a question? Like, of course. And I'm like, do both of you use this relationship as a place of comfort? That's my number one psych ed right there. Of course, I already know the answer. I already know it's a rhetorical question. I already know the answer. The answer will be no 100% of the time. Why? Why can you say that, Ryan? Because if the answer was yes, well, I would have never met them. The fact that there's pain in a relationship, which just means they're alive, and they can't show up to comfort each other is exactly why they're clients. So they always say no, like literally thousands of couples, never one has ever said yes, right? That's, they're, they're showing a disease state. Like there's a good reason why they take their pain somewhere else or hide it or act like it's not there, which is the most common. So they'll say no. And then I, my next question is, was there ever a time in your relationship where that was true? Where each of you, you came to each other, you came to this relationship for comfort. Mm. About half the time they'll say, yeah. I'm like, really, when? 
Like, yeah, our first seven years, we did that a lot, man. We would sit on the back porch. We would share hmm. over coffee or a drink. I'm like, how was your relationship then? They were like, it was incredible. So James makes fun of me by calling me big comfort. And that's why. Because there's, you know, we bond to what, we bond to our comfort experiences. We do. That's the one thing all mammals are addicted to, to downregulate, to comfort. And so when a relationship loses the capacity to comfort each other, it won't take long until there's all kinds of problems. So that's a little piece of psych ed. You can do it quickly in the form of a story. The last one I, I sometimes use is just say, hey, I want to get into what you're going to expect when you're here. This is going to be less like a classroom and me giving you tips and techniques. Like we said on a previous episode, the best technique I can give you is the one you practice, you're going to do here with me. So my office might feel more like getting tennis lessons. I'm going to ask you to pass things back and forth across the net to each other. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you find a way to respond to each other. This is what this is going to look like. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be an active place where you come and play tennis, mm-hmm. not just talk about tennis. Yeah, and I like. I think I'll I'll use that one too, Ryan. The one where we talk about the thirty three percent, about how many times do couples have to be able to respond to each other in these places, and I'll say, hey, so what I'm trying to help you to do, is I'm trying to help you to. There's no way that no relationship can be one hundred percent attuned all the time. It just can't happen. As a matter of fact, probably about 30% of the time or so in your relationship, you're going to be off, whether it's work or sickness or kids. And then there's going to be this other time where you're kind of in this place of disruption. There's a disconnection. Well, I'm sorry. The attunement is we kind of are. Like, we know what's going on in my world. I know what's going on in your world. Maybe 30% of the time. Doesn't sound like a, a, a high mark. Most people think it's around 90%, 85%, uh, 99%. That, that's the only way you could be. But, but there's about 30% of the time you're kind of in this disruption place or so. But what we find is like that in that 30 to 33%, if you can repair, your relationship becomes safe. You're able to take risk. And then it brings you into greater levels of attunement. And then when the disruption does happen again, you're able to you're able to not freak out about it because you know, wait, we can actually repair. So what we're going to be doing in here is working on even moments of helping you to learn to repair. I might give like a little quick snippet at the beginning of therapy on something like that. Yeah, so that's beautiful. I'm watching the clock. That was 75 seconds. Oh, wow. Right? I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, you just made your case in 75 seconds, right? You used Edtronics research, yep. good enough responding, 33%. You used Sue John, you quoted indirectly Sue Johnson, mm-hmm. John Gottman right there. But you're doing it in a way that's like right where we are. Here's what we're going to do. Here's why we're going to do it. You're mm-hmm. showing your work mm-hmm. for the work that they are going to do. That's right. You keep them on their side of the room in terms of using their energy towards new experiences as opposed to exiting and having them be distracted by our processes, which I think is our point today. That's it, y'all. Thank you so much. We love hearing your questions, and we will try and do more of those specific episodes. So thank you for being listeners of the Leading Edge podcast. Uh, Enjoy. Thank you for listening. We hope this experience helps you push the leading edge in your work to help people connect with themselves and with each other. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a five-star review. You can contact us at pushtheleadingedge at gmail.com. And you can follow us on our Facebook page at Push the Leading Edge. You can follow Ryan on Facebook at Ryan Reyna Professional Training and on his website, ryanreynatraining.com. You can follow James on Facebook and Instagram at Doc Hawk LPC. 
You can also check out his website, DocHawkLPC.com. Thank you.